wrapping up our series on hearing God uh, this week and uh, going to transition into uh, some other things next week. And um, we just want to finish up the series with one of the most important uh, ideas around hearing God, and that is just being a friend with God. Uh, I, I think we all know that uh, the voices that we hear best in our lives are the voices of those who are closest to us, our friends. Uh, my closest friend is my wife, uh, by far, and, uh, and I would recognize her voice anywhere. I mean, she calls, I immediately know where, uh, that it's her. If you know, she's in a crowded room and talks, I could pick her voice out in a crowded room because I am, I'm her best friend, and, and she is my best friend, and, and we're close to each other. I mean, you recognize the voice of those who are closest to you. You can pick their voice out. And when we're talking about trying to discern God's voice between Satan's voice and our own voice and the pressures and the voices of others, the closer you get to God, the better you'll be able to discern his voice because you know his character, you know his fruit, you know his presence, you know uh, the experience of him at work in your lives. And so that's what we want to talk a little bit about today. And one of the great mysteries in the universe is the fact that we can actually be friends with God. I mean, there are a lot of names for Christians in the Bible, but one of the names is, is a friend of God, which is pretty impressive because, I mean, if you just thought for a moment about your, maybe like your superhero, like person, or you know, your favorite movie star or figure, I mean, if you got to be a friend with that person, you'd be pretty impressed. But we're, we're talking someone who is a zillion times greater than anyone on this earth. We're talking about God. That we can be close and intimate and a friend with the loving, amazing, powerful God of this universe. And we see this here in a, in a few texts. Here we see in James chapter 2, uh, verse 23, it says, The scripture was uh, fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And that phrase is used in the Bible to uh, relate to our relationship with Christ. That if we believe Jesus... God's promises to us that we are given righteousness, that we are forgiven completely of our sin. We are brought into a right relationship with God. We are brought into his kingdom by faith in, in Jesus. And even back in Abraham's day, because he believed God, he was righteous. And it says that he was called God's friend. That when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, because he cleanses you and adopts you as a son and daughter, you're not only his son and daughter, but you become God's friend. That you can be a friend with God. Uh, Jesus said this, he says, no one has greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. And that's what Jesus did. He laid down his life for us, his friends. And he says, you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because the slave does not understand what his master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have revealed to you everything I heard from my father. That because we are friends, Jesus loves to reveal things to us. He conceals things from those who are not his friends, but he reveals things to those who are his friends. And so we are in this privileged position of being friends with God and therefore being able to hear God. Back in the Old Testament with Abraham, who was a friend of God, 
kind of an interesting, one of those weird stories where the Lord shows up and has a, a meal with Abraham. But as the Lord is about to leave, he says, the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? And he's talking about he was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. But he, he didn't tell anybody else. But Abraham, who was his friend, Abraham, uh, the Lord says, should I hide from him what I'm about to do? And he doesn't hide what he was going to do. He shares it with Abraham because Abraham was his friend. And the same with today. God loves to share things with those who are walking close with him. And Moses, who was another friend of God, in Exodus 33, it says, The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And under the New Covenant, according to Paul in, in Corinthians, we are actually under a more privileged position than even Moses was, that we can be closer to God than even Moses was, that, that we are friends with the God of this universe. And it is our job to try to be the best friend we can be, right? Because just because someone's a friend and you all have friends and, and there's better friends and there's not as good friends, right? We want to try to be the best friends we can be to God. And the way that happens primarily is by, by drawing close to him. And we, uh, many of us know this text, James 4, says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Very simple but very powerful. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. You cannot have a good friendship if you don't spend time together, if you don't draw near to one another, you don't talk, right? I mean, you're never going to have a great friendship in your marriage if you never connect and talk and, and connect and draw close to each other. You're not going to have a great friendship with someone if you're not close to them. So, if you want to have a great friendship with God, you need to, to draw near to him. And it's a promise that if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. And if you're here today and you kind of have a sense that God is far, you know, where is God? Why does he seem so distant? Why does he seem so far away? You just got to reverse this text. Your answer is you need to draw near to God. And the promise is he will draw near to you. Now, part of being a friendship with God requires us somewhat to get over something that will affect all of us, and that is um, this. Uh, people who are rich in this world or who are really famous sometimes wonder if their friends are actually friends or not. You know, is that person really my friend or they just want my money? Is that person really my friend or, or do they just want to hang out with me because I'm popular? It is very easy for us to fall into the trap where the only reason we want God and we want his friendship is because of his stuff. Because we want something from him. God, I want to be your friend so you can bless my marriage. God, I want you to be my friend so you can, you know, make my ministry amazing. God, I want you to be my friend so that you can make me rich. Or God, I want you to be a friend so you can heal me because I'm struggling. God, I want you to be my friend. And your whole focus on your friendship is so you can give or take and snag and, you know, beg and borrow from God. Now, if you had someone who said, I'm your friend, and they only used you, Every time they phone you up, can you help me move? Can you help me do this? I need to borrow some money. Yeah, and they never hang out with you. They never help you. They never you know, want to sit down and chat. They just use you. After a while, you go, are they really my friend? Right? They just seem to use me. But on the other hand, when you are close friends with one another, you help each other. 
You love to serve your best friend. You love to be there in times. And God loves to help us. I mean, all throughout the Bible, God is saying things like, call to me in the day of trouble because I want to help you. I mean, cast your burdens at my feet. This is part of God's relationship with us. But if that's all your relationship is about, I just need, I just want, can you give me, can you help me, can you bless me? That's not a real friendship. A real friendship is when you just love hanging out with somebody and you're not asking for anything. When you're willing to give and not necessarily ask in in return. And this is the, the challenge of moving from kind of a superficial relationship with God to a deeper relationship with God where you experience him like a close friend. This quote from worship, and I've shared this before, and I think uh, I'm going to tie this a bit into worship here. It says, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. Worship is the time and place that we assign for deliberate attentiveness to God. Not because he's confined to uh, time and place, but because our self-importance is so insidiously relentless that if we don't deliberately interrupt ourselves regularly, we have no chance of attending to him at all at other times and in other places. In other words, there are certain activities in our Christian life which are essential to developing our friendship, and worship is one of them. Because worship is one of those times where we're not necessarily asking him for things. We're not saying, can you bless me? Can you help me? Can you fix this? It's all about him. And the closer you become in your friendship with God, the more you will learn to enjoy times of worship. And if you are here and you struggle with worship, like you wonder, like, why is there so many songs? Can't we just get this over with? And you never find yourself engaging. There could be a lot of reasons, but one of the reasons might be You've never learned to be a friend with God outside of wanting and needing and asking. And you learn to be in a place where it's just, God, I just love you, and I just want to minister to you, and I just want to say thank you. That's why thanksgiving is so important, and praise is so important. All of those things are just being a friend to God without needing, asking, wanting, and begging. Okay? I mean, how much of your relationship with God is just focused on Him? I mean, if you look at your friendship with God and you had that kind of friend, would you call him a good friend or not such a good friend, right? So there are certain activities that we just need to keep working on and developing and growing in because they, they grow our friendship with God. Mary is an example of some pers- uh, person in the Bible who really gets this. One picture of Mary is in John 12. It says, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived whom he had raised from the dead. So they prepared a dinner for Jesus there. Martha was serving. So uh, Martha and Lazarus, their brother and sister to Mary. Okay, it's Mary, not Jesus' mom, Mary, but uh, brother and sister to Martha and Lazarus. And Lazarus was among those present at the table with them. Then Mary took three quarters of a pound of expensive omeratic uh, oil from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus. She then wiped his feet dry with her hair. Now the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfumed oil. Now this text goes on to say that this three-quarters pound of expensive perfume was worth 300 working days 
of money. It doesn't include days off. It's a whole year's wage. We don't have no idea how she got this. Maybe it was an inheritance or maybe someone, I don't know how she got it, but she had it. And she takes this that is worth a whole year's wage and she just dumps it on Jesus. I mean, think about a year wage of your wage, right? If you had a whole year's wage, I mean, she just dumps it on, she doesn't even ask for a tax receipt, right? <laughs> She's asking for nothing. This is just, I love you, Jesus. I just want to give to you, Jesus. You are so amazing that you're worth this most expensive thing that I own. And she just dumps it on him. That's friendship. When you learn to just give to God, love God, thank God, praise God, worship God, and you're not asking for anything in return, you're just, you're just loving him, okay? Mary understood this. Another picture of Mary is this. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, the same village, Bethany, because that's where Mary and Martha lived, and Lazarus is just outside of Jerusalem. So whenever Jesus went to Jerusalem, he'd always stay at Bethany at their house. So they're good friends, all three of them. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Jesus would have showed up unexpectedly. They didn't have cell phones or phones and to call ahead saying, hey, I'm staying at your house. Jesus and his disciples just showed up at their house. Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. So Jesus comes over, and Martha begins to think, Jesus is at my house. His disciples are at my house. I need to make a huge meal. I gotta, I, I'm going to try to serve my Lord, and by making this big dinner, I'm going to... And so she busies herself in the kitchen trying to prepare this amazing meal for Jesus. Mary, on the other hand, says, I just want to spend time with Jesus. I just want to sit at his feet. And that phrase, I don't think... Luke put that in by accident because the idea of sitting at one's feet in that day was a term of discipleship. I mean, we see Paul talking about the same thing, that he was a Jew born in Tarsus in Sicily, uh, but brought up in the city, educated at the feet of Gamal, uh, Gamali. To be at the feet means that you learn from this person. They didn't have like seminaries and like colleges back then. You would sit at someone's feet. And here is Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. Okay, we're talking about hearing God, listening to Jesus speak. Martha is distracted with much serving. Distracted from what? From the presence of Jesus. She is distracted from the very person she is trying to serve. And it's odd how that can happen. That sometimes with much serving, we can be distracted from the very person we're trying to serve. And this happens in other times in our life. I mean, sometimes, let's say a husband wants to serve his family well. He wants to build a big house for his family. He wants to provide them with lots of things and just bless his family. So he goes and works, and he works so much that he loses the family that he was trying to bless and help and serve. Right? Or say a mom. This happens sometimes at Christmas and Thanksgiving. A mom might say, I just want to bless my family with the most amazing meal. And so she makes 20 different dishes in all two days of serving and preparing. And by the time she sits down with her family, she's so tired, she can't even enjoy the family that she was trying to serve. And this can happen with our relationship with God. 
that we can so busy ourselves with much serving or running here and there or just general busyness. I mean, if you're not serving Jesus, it might be other things. And you're just distracted from the person who is most important in your life. And you can't be distracted from your close friend. Okay? There is nothing more important in your life and in my life than doing merry time, sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening. I mean, just a few verses in Psalms that just remind us of how important it is to spend time in the presence of Jesus. Psalm 84, certainly spending just one day in your temple courts is better than spending a thousand elsewhere. That's how good it is just to worship God, to be in his presence, to be his closest friend, because it's better than a thousand years spent elsewhere. Psalm 82, my soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. That's what your soul is saying. Just, just love God. I want to get closer to God. I so want to be in his presence. I so want to listen to him. And some of you are so distracted by the craziness of life, you're just pushing down that voice and saying, I want to be with God, because that's whom you are made to live for and to be connected with. Uh, Psalm 27. I have asked the Lord for one thing. You got to ask God for one thing. What would it be? This person understands just how amazing it is just to be with God without actually receiving anything back. I want to live in the Lord's house all the days of my life so I can gaze at the splendor of the Lord and contemplate in his temple. If I could ask for one thing, just be more time with Jesus. Someone who understands the cry of your soul. Uh, a couple more verses. Psalm 142, I cry out to you, O Lord. I say, you are my shelter, my security, and the land of the living. Or Psalm 43, I go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. Do not let yourself be distracted from the very thing that's most important in life. Uh, don't be distracted with much serving. Don't be distracted with a lot of things that just keep your attention off that which all of life flows through. And sometimes you just need to learn to discern a little bit what you should be, shouldn't be doing, be maybe a little more disciplined. Sometimes you've got to learn how to say no, right? You can say that. No, it does is work, right? The story goes on. Luke 10. And she went up to him. This is Martha goes up to Jesus because Martha's in the kitchen, working like crazy, preparing this, this big feast. She's looking out, seeing Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And you can imagine she's getting bitter, right? This happens sometimes with people who are just, you know, serving all the time. They look at those who aren't serving. They're like, what's the big deal? And so she, she's ticked. She'll, she goes right up to Jesus as he's teaching and says to Jesus, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone Tell her then to help me, right? Tell her to get in the kitchen where she belongs. Because, I mean, culturally, Mary was just doing crazy stuff. Because culturally, the women would be in the kitchen cooking. They would all serve the men. And once the men were all served, then the women could come out, right? Too bad I wasn't like that anymore. Just kidding. No, just kidding. <laughs> joke, joke, joke. I would rather be with my wife. <laughs> now, the way this is phrased in the Greek actually uh, uh, implies that Mary ex or Martha expected that Jesus would come to a rescue. 
the way this is written in the Greek, that Martha expected that Jesus would say, you know what, Martha, you're right. Mary, get in the kitchen and help your sister now, all right? But Jesus pretty much says the opposite and actually rebukes Martha. The woman who is serving and busying herself in the kitchen, Jesus rebukes that person. And a lot of times people in the church, sometimes we're like, we just had more Marthas around. People that could help us and do so much. We need more Marthas, more people just willing to serve like crazy. And Jesus is actually saying, no, we don't want a lot of Marthas. We don't want Marthas. We want Marys. Now, Marys serve. Marys love. And, and they, they give their life to Jesus. But Marys spend Mary time. Okay, And this is what actually the Lord says. Martha, Martha. Okay. Listen to me. This is important. When he says your name twice, this is like when we say your kid's name, all three names, you know, Jeremy, John, Lurch, serious, right? Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. It's not what you're doing, Martha. One thing is necessary. It's not saying what you're doing is okay. She's saying, no, one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good fortune, which not, uh, will not be taken away from her. Martha is anxious and troubled, and she's serving Jesus. I mean, God is there in her house, and she's anxious and troubled. Why is she anxious and troubled? Because she was not listening to God. She was not walking with God. She was just having her own idea. This is what Jesus wants. Jesus wants a big meal, so I'm going to make him a big meal. But that's not what Jesus wanted. This is the difference between, and I got this phrase from Abby because I like this phrase, working for God rather than working with God. That, that Martha is working for God rather than with God. If she would have come up when Jesus came home and said, Jesus, it's so good to see you. What would you like to do this evening? He may have said, you know what, Martha, can you just make a quick meal? Because I want to spend time with you. I want to spend time teaching you. I want you to spend some time at my feet. Martha never asked Jesus. She just came with, I think this is what Jesus wants. And she goes out and prepares this whole meal. And she's all anxious and troubled because she hadn't been listening to Jesus. And if you find yourself anxious and troubled, it might be that you are working for God rather than with God. And I'll talk a little bit more about what that means, okay? Working for God rather. If the presence of Jesus becomes more of a pain than a pleasure, something's wrong, okay? He says one thing is necessary. Not busying yourself with much service in the kitchen. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which means the good piece, the best part, right? If there's a pie on the table and there's one piece that's twice as big as the other piece, that's the good portion, right? Right? If, you know, Mary chose the big piece of pie. Martha took, all the, took a little one, right? But there's a lot of big pieces in the pie. There's enough for Mary and there's enough for Martha. And Jesus said, this is not going to be taken away from her. I'm not going to come to your aid because you have not been walking with me. You've been serving me, trying to bless me, and you probably thought this is the way you could love me, but this is not the best thing. And it is possible that some of us are doing things in our life, like a Martha. We're serving, we're, we're busying ourselves, we're running here and there in life. Maybe not even church things. You might be doing other things, and you're anxious, and you're troubled, and you're distracted. You never can have time with Jesus. And Jesus might say to you, look. 
you're anxious and troubled, but only one thing is necessary because it all starts with hearing God. All of life must flow from hearing God so we know what we should be doing and should not be doing. We see Jesus living this way. In Luke chapter 6, before he chose his disciples, it says, He went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God, and when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve. What did he do before he chose the twelve disciples? He spent all night in prayer, what? Speaking to God, loving God, and listening to God. God, who do you want as a disciple? He didn't just come up one day, okay, I'm going to pick the ones that look the best or dress the best that are most amazing. He didn't pick out of his own heart. He picked out from his response from his time from listening to God. And this is how we need to live our life. I mean, we've been learning lots of stuff about hearing God, but we need to come to a place where the things we do and choose to do and not to do are coming out of our time at the feet of Jesus. Jesus, who do you want me to uh, you know, pick or choose or whatever it might be. We see another picture of Jesus. Mark 1, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place and he prayed there. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I might preach there also. He had been preaching in a town, and there was lots of ministry. People were coming to Jesus and saying, I need healing. Everyone is looking for you. There's so many opportunities here, Simon is saying. And Jesus says, no, we're going, we're leaving. We're going to the next town. Why? He had just been in prayer. If he had not been in prayer, he might just say, okay, we're staying in this town. And, but he was always listening to his father and walking in response to what he heard God say. Should I stay in this town, Father, or should I go? Lots of ministry here, but there's ministry, what should I do? And he hears God say, go to the next town. Do you live your life that way? I mean, do you just kind of wake up and just, I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, and I think this is, I mean, right now, I could list 200 things that need work in this church. We could start a hundred different ministries. There are so many opportunities, but we want to make sure we're people who are hearing God. God, what opportunities do you want us to move in? God, what are the things that you want us to be working on? God, what, what is your vision? As Blackaby always says, you don't want to, you want to ride the wave that God created. You don't want to be standing at the shore trying to create your own wave. You want to be walking where God is walking, not walking by yourself off in the sidelines. And I think I got one more before we're done. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. And that right there is our goal. That what the father is doing, we are doing. Where the father is moving, we are moving. That we are not just creating our own job description for life, that's easy to do. We are sitting at the feet of Jesus saying, what's your job description for my life? Where do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? In? Uh, what ministries do you want me to be in? So this is part of hearing God. And, and this ultimately is our goal, to become such a close friend to God that we are able to discern his voice very easily and very clearly because we are close to him. 
and living our life out of that relationship with him. And that is not easy to do. The only way you will ever get there is you need to spend merry time. You need to learn to sit at the feet of Jesus. You need to learn to grow deeper in him, even though part of our prayer is asking for daily bread, but a lot of it is hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. It is just focused on what he is doing and loving him. And this is where I want to move more in my life, and I hope that's your prayer as well. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you relentlessly pursue us. Not even when we're off in the kitchen doing our own things sometimes. God, I pray that you would just continue to draw us close to you, that you would continue to put on our heart this desire to draw near to you. God, that we would not give up the big piece of pie, that we would just always go for the big piece and sit at your feet and learn from you and listen to you and open up your word and read and pray and listen and worship. God, I pray for anyone in this room at this time who is feeling distant from you. God, would you remind them that you are there and you just want to draw them closer. I pray, God, for those individuals that they would make some decisions, some changes, where they might just be able to spend time with you and experience you, God, in a deeper way. God, I pray for all of us here that you would draw us into a closer friendship with you. God, that you would teach us to go beyond simply asking and begging to a place, God, where we just want to love you for who you are and serve you for who you are. So God, we just ask for your continued presence and your continued power to be walking with us this week. So God, would you go with us in the power of your Holy Spirit, blessing us to love others and to serve others and to be there for others. And God, helping us to honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.